My name is Michael Hildebrand, and I'm the director of the Upstate Mobility Alliance. We are a nonprofit focused on making the upstate of South Carolina a vibrant and connected region in the areas of transportation and mobility. Today, we have Scott Craig, General Manager of Corporate Strategy and Planning with JTEC North America with us. So, Scott, uh, welcome. And if you would, just share a little bit about yourself, your background, and then tell us about uh, JTEC and what they focus on. Yeah, Michael, thanks for having me uh, today. I, I'm very excited to talk to you about our mobility work and uh, and the format. So I applaud you for uh, for adopting the podcast format. It's it's fun, and I would say uh, watch out to Planet Money. I think you're going to go after that listenership. Yeah, but yeah, I'm Scott uh, Scott Craig, and I live here in Greenville actually, and I ride the bus. And uh, Michael. Uh, I pause briefly because that's normally what happens in my conversations in my social circles circles when I say I ride the bus and I just find it interesting. I guess I'm surprised that so many people are surprised when they learn that, you know, folks ride the bus and, and hopefully we're going to change that. I'm excited to talk about that today. You mentioned I work at JTEC and I do phenomenal company uh, at JTEC. I'm the general manager of corporate strategy and planning where I'm focused on such things as footprint strategy, site selection, economic incentive work, merger acquisitions, et cetera. Also lead our marketing and communications function as well as government affairs. So I've had a myriad of jobs really through my 25 year career with JTEC, including engineer, engineering operations and finance. So a little bit about JTEC, Michael, we're the 18th largest tier one automotive supplier in the world. We're a Toyota group company. That means that Toyota owns a significant stake in our business over a quarter, actually. About $13 billion in global sales, $2.3 billion in North America, and about 6,000 associates here in, in North America. Our primary business is automotive supply. We supply steering systems. And then if you can imagine, Michael, everything between your steering wheel, really in the hubs or the wheels of the vehicle, we supply those. We also supply driveline products and bearings. Uh, our bearing brand, in fact, a lot of people don't know JTEC, but in the upstate of South Carolina, throughout South Carolina, in fact, a number of people are familiar with our bearing brand, which is Coil. And uh, that's, a, that's a brand that's really quite ubiquitous. It goes into a number of automotive applications, but it's also in um, kind of advanced spaces such as aerospace, mining, oil, and gas. You'll find them also in appliances and healthcare applications. So. Uh, kind of in short, JTEC's a big company, Michael, with a really broad-reaching portfolio. So you mentioned part of your role is site selection, and JTEC decided to establish their North American headquarters right here in Greenville, South Carolina. Tell us, what was it about Greenville that, that was attractive to JTEC and, and made them decide to, to locate here? Yeah, it's a great question, Michael. It's, it's um, interesting, actually. We it, to be clear, I should say that Coil brand, we, our first manufacturing facility in the United States, that Coil manufacturing facility was in Orangeburg. So we had, we had knowledge. We, you know, we were familiar with South Carolina, but our headquarters previously, originally it was in Cleveland, Ohio, then it had transitioned over to uh, just outside Detroit, Michigan, so that we could be in that automotive ecosystem right there with our customers. So that was no surprise. Uh, for us to be in Southeast Michigan, but the way that we came to Greenville was we actually made an acquisition of a segment of business from one of our competitors, and that competitor was Timken, who again, a lot of people here will recognize 
yeah. name in South Carolina, but we bought a segment of business from Temkin. And with that piece of business came this real estate. Uh, it was this office that's sitting out on the CUI car campus. And uh, so honestly, Michael, when we, we made that acquisition, we really weren't sure what to do with that space. Um, but then as we started to consolidate multiple businesses that were existing in JTEC North America, uh, this space kind of popped up and it seemed like it really made sense uh, for us. And um, so the wheels got to turning and uh, we're a Japanese company. And uh, while JTEC's an amazing engineering company, Michael, in fact, we developed the first electric power steering system um, in the world. And this was years ago, way before we were talking about electrification. Uh, we're a great engineering company, but really one of the hallmarks of Japanese companies is their ability to manufacture and their focus on manufacturing. And so JTEC's manufacturing footprint, I mentioned 6,000 associates, one third of those are right here in South Carolina. Yeah, and then we have a number of uh, folks in Georgia and Tennessee. So again, Greenville was just really sitting at kind of what is the epicenter of our manufacturing footprint. And it just made a lot of sense. There's a lot of engineering capability here in the upstate. It's got its own great ecosystem for manufacturing. So it really became a no-brainer um, once we started to consider it. We were excited that, you know, when we made that acquisition, suddenly we didn't know what to do with real estate. It just really became, you know, what, what we think is a real strategic advantage for a company. And I can imagine being on the ICAR campus really helps you stay connected to the innovation that's happening throughout the automotive industry. Yeah, it's, it's incredible what happens on that campus. I don't know how many people are aware, but I would really encourage, um, I would encourage other industry. If you're not working with CUICAR, I would encourage you to do that. In fact, at JTEC, we're always trying to find more ways that we can actually engage with CUICAR and actually reciprocate by having their students come and work with us. So it's a relationship that there's a lot of growth even for us, Michael. We, I, we've hardly uh, really kind of breached the surface of what I think that could be. But yeah, it's, there, there's a lot of advantage to be in there. Yeah. So in, in your introduction, you, you mentioned that you ride the bus, that you, you actually take public yep. transportation, serve on our moving people task forces, the co-chair, uh, which is focused on improving public transit in the upstate. Uh, talk a little bit, though, about... Uh, where do you where do you get excited about public transit? Why did you make the decision to to take the bus and um, and and support public transit in in the ways that you have? Yeah, it's a good question, Michael. You know, I'm very active in the community, just just like you are. Um, but you know, my work with public transportation in the Upstate it's it's really not community service as much as it is kind of a passion project. I'm really passionate about this because I see the potential. And, uh, you know, how did that happen? Well, I grew up, Michael, in southeast Tennessee in a rural, a really kind of a farm community, and there was no public transit. I often tell people if there was public transit in that town, it was my buddy's dad who seen me walking uh, to town, and he let me ride in the back of the pickup truck. That's what transit was. So I didn't have an, I, I didn't have an appreciation for transit until I got older. And really when I started to work with JTEC, uh, again, I've been there for uh, most of my professional career. They're, we're a global company. Um, and Michael, if you work for, for a global company, certainly if you work for JTEC, they're going to send you around the world. And that's exactly what I've spent a lot of my career doing was traveling. And when I did, I started to recognize the opportunities that were presented by transit. Certainly in Japan, transit is phenomenal. It's just a way of life. And a lot of that's driven because of population density. Uh, it's really driven out of necessity, but it's not only that it exists, but 
it exists in such a way that it's really seamlessly woven together with what we now call active transport, right? Bikes and walking and, and, and Michael, we have those things here in Greenville, right? You know, so I started to see these things come together. So this was, uh, I seen this in Nagoya, Tokyo, Seoul, Singapore, Paris, and I just became really intrigued and, and above all, it was just convenient. And, uh, but especially during the years when we've seen a lot of volatility in oil prices and, and being in the automotive industry, uh, certainly you're keeping an eye on this, but you could see how transit offered a solution. So initially that was it, Mike. I was just intrigued by what I've seen in cities. And, and I really thought that, you know, transportation is something that really is for major metropolitan areas. But then I started to travel to more rural areas in Thailand. I was in Valparaiso, of Chile. And I noticed that they also, even in these rural, smaller cities, Michael, they had robust transit systems. And these were some cities that were smaller than Greenville. And, uh, and I, I seen that they, they were used a little bit different. You know, they were for work, but then also these were primary means of trans transportation or groceries for doctors for, for so many different things. So Michael, in short, what I seen really in my experience was I seen cities really across the spectrum that embraced transit. I seen a lot of doors open to those communities that, you know, I, that the folks that I lived with every day here in the U.S., they didn't enjoy the same opportunity. It definitely provide different perspective whenever you can actually get into a community that has a robust transportation system to be able to see the impact that it has and and the benefit that it really provides everybody whether you use it or not um, so I'm kind of curious just to kind of go off of uh, your last couple of comments so how would you rank the upstate uh, to those areas that you've uh, lived and visited in in terms of public transit and then what have you seen in some of those cities that you think would be helpful to apply here in the upstate? Yeah, that's, um, Michael, I, let me preface what I'm going to say by, you know, I referenced a lot of major cities. I, I think it's important to note that there's also, you know, the smaller cities, even here in the U.S., that do have robust transit that are comparable in size to Greenville. So uh, to answer your question, how would I rank the upstate in those areas? Michael, South Carolina, specifically the upstate, it's a phenomenal place. It truly is. I mean, people can live anywhere in the world and they choose to live here, my, myself included. We're really happy here. But this is an area where we are woefully uh, underfunded and we're behind in a significant way to, you know, the cities that we compete with. And uh, so I think that would be my summary. How do I rank it? I, it's woefully underfunded for a lot of years. It is a bare necessity system. And I want to be sure that when I say that, Michael, I, I don't want that to reflect uh, in any way negatively upon the people that work for transit. In fact, I say to these transit workers in Anderson and Spartanburg and Greenville, I think they're all stars because they've worked for so long with really so little in means of resources that they've had to really be creative and find ways um, to, to make these systems work. I honestly think uh, if New York City Metro found out some of the skill that we have here in Greenville or the upstate transit. They may woo those guys away and put some resources at their back and be surprised about what they could do. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the the resource is the is the missing link that we have here in the upstate. I think that's the thing that's holding us back. So, you know, you and I have talked about the impact that COVID-19 is having on uh, public transit, both nationally and then even here locally. Um, and, and we know it's going to take some time to get back to some level of being normal. And, and we don't even know what that's going to look like. But 
since you are responsible for corporate strategy, I'd love just to kind of get your thoughts around. So what are those few uh, foundational items with public transit that uh, would be helpful to build off of? So as we think about uh, getting people back to use public transit and comfortable with it and, and to in- welcome and encourage new riders, uh, what are those foundational beliefs that you think um, we need to build off of to get people back? It's a, it, another great question, Michael, and, and I'll say this in regards to COVID-19. I, I suppose this is where it'd be a good time to share some wisdom or say something profound, but all that I can say right now is that this is truly unprecedented, this experience. And we're all, you know, kind of kind of managing this together. Now, admittedly, I'm an optimist, and I'm really happy to see us reopen the economy slowly and safely. Uh, but, I, I mean, the truth is, is that we see this in major cities that transit is a space now where you're exposed. In a similar way that we're exposed in restaurants and we're exposed, I'm exposed at Home Depot, right? So we have to be careful with transit right now. But I think what I want to say or what I would say to that, Michael, is the same thing that we say that at JTEC. We have to keep our heads up. We have to continue to look forward because COVID-19 is an event. It's an event. Michael Textile, the exodus from the upstate, that was an event. Lehman Shock was an event. COVID-19, again, is an event, and it's going to end. And I think right now, uh, foundationally, I, I think what we, we have to recognize is that, you know, when we get on the other side of this, as long as humans populate the earth, Michael, we're going to need to eat. We're going to need to work. We're going to need to be social. We're going to need access to healthcare. We're going to need these things in transit. There's always going to be a need, a requirement for us to be mobile. So I think more than anything right now, if I could urge people, you know, I I think the biggest risk right now beyond COVID, obviously, and the the public health risk is that we as communities and, and well, stuff like our, our mobility alliance, we have to plan, take this opportunity to plan, 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 and that way, when we come out of this on the other side, we're ready to start to execute and we don't lose any time. When the time's right, to really step on the accelerator, and, and I'll share this, these are words of Mike Panasco here in town, but I want to make sure, Michael, on the other end of COVID-19, we have planned, we're ready to execute, and we secure more than our fair share of opportunity, right? And uh, I think that's exciting. Yeah, no, I agree and, and think that, that you're spot on with that. You know, it's it's this idea that, um, you know, not only are we going to need to to be focused on moving forward, how do we even get better coming out of this? And, um, you know, I, I, I think I think that advice that you give about, you know, just keeping our heads up and looking forward because this really is an event. Um, not only is it, is it really just inspirational, but I think it's also true that we need to, we need to be thinking about this and and learning from this experience, but then also, uh, like you said, planning on how do we get better? How do we, how do we come out of this stronger? And, um, for public transit specifically, how do we come out of this and be seen as um, a necessity for this community? 